All right. Like I take it uh, everybody was here for the Phantom Menace. <laughs> That's tonight. So I want to know out there uh, how many folks, uh, this is Solo, is, is one of your top five star, favorite Star Wars movies. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. <laughs> so, what I want to do first is introduce all of our, our guests. Well, I'll, I'll let the panelists introduce themselves in the randomized order that I have. <laughs> and, and, and with no, no intent whatsoever. EK, you want to start? Hello. Uh, my name is EK Johnston. Uh, I wrote Star Wars Ahsoka and Star Wars Queen's Shadow. Um, no big deal. I really enjoyed Solo, so I was like, hey, can I crash the Solo fan panel? And they were like, sure. Actually, the the email came to me, and my response to Brandy was probably in all caps. <laughs> unintelligible. I mean, the, the, the conversation on Twitter was fairly like legible. Brandy said that's how all your emails were, Thomas. <laughs> that's accurate. <laughs> the original pitch for this panel, I'm pretty sure, was like, let's just watch an hour of Solo, and I immediately volunteered to just <laughs> sit in here. Christy? Hey, that's me. Uh, I'm Christy Morris. I also go by Bespin Bell online, and uh, I'm with a couple of different podcasts. Um, I co-host two different shows, Sabres and Spells, which is me and my friend Teresa talking about Star Wars every other week, uh, as well as any other geeky stuff we want. Um, I also do um, a five-minute segment called Fashion and Five on the Star Wars Report uh, every month. And then uh, I do a show called Planet Leia on Fanthatrax, uh, where we have women from around the world that talk about Star Wars every month. And completely randomized as well, Michael. <laughs> I'm Michael Morris. Uh, I wrote my name earlier today. Uh, I'm yeah. Hey, I'm I'm trying to fill stuff in here. They all have like lots of things to. Uh, but I do the uh, Cloud City Casino podcast on uh, the Star Wars Report Network. So I'm a big Lando fan. That's that's it. That's all As I you got. Can tell by the shirt. Nathan, <laughs> way down on here on the end. Hi, I'm Nathan Laws. I'm the host of the 42 cast, which is your ultimate answer to fandom geekiness and everything. We talk about everything, not just Star Wars, but that is one of the things we talk about. And uh, I was a little late today because I was looking for my business card case, which I lost somewhere in the building. So if anyone sees a little silver case, it's got my business cards inside, says Nathan Laws, just let me know. Don't worry. Everything you've heard about Nathan is true. <laughs> and that's being late gets you put onto the into the unknown regions that is the <laughs> All right. <laughs> Hi, guys. No, I'm Rebecca Pant. I'm Rebecca. Um, online, I go by Chewbecca. Um, my handle's Chewbecca Cosplay. I'm just a cosplayer and all-around Star Wars enthusiast. Obi-Wan, I'm representing today. He's my fave. He's my boy. I also have a couple rays, and um, I'll be soon setting out on the journey of making a Meadow Picnic Padme for my sister. So if you guys are into cosplay, um, you can follow along with that. I've heard of that Kenobi guy. <laughs> All right, Bria. Hi, I think you put me last. Purely because you knew I was going to say something mean about Y-Wings. Muter! Uh, <laughs> Listen, I got a big voice. I can talk. Uh, so, hi, I am Bria Lavornia, Chaos Bria on Twitter, basically everywhere. I am also a freelance writer for StarWars.com, and I do some work for Marvel Comics as well. If you have been reading their Age of Republic Rebellion Resistance series, Probably read some essays in the back for me, most recently about Poe and one Armitage Hux. Uh, aside from that, I am also the managing editor for Tashi Station, where I co-host uh, the Vong cast about the New Jedi Order and the Kanji cast, which is Star Wars from an Asian point of view. And I think that's everything. So if you like Dragon Age, you can follow me on Twitter. We talk about that a lot. <laughs> and I'll be your guide through this panel. I'm Thomas Harper. For those of you who don't know me, I write the podcast for a site called The Legal Geeks. If you happen to see last year the court martial, uh, the mock court martial of Poe Dameron that was done at uh, at San Diego Comic Con, uh, that's part of a flavor of what we do out there. Um, I have the, I guess, ignominy of being the prosecutor that got Poe banished 
at the end of that trial to the Star Trek universe. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. That's we take, rough. We take, I, I primarily take issues that you see in Star Wars, so say C-3PO and R2 getting thrown out of the cantina in A New Hope, and take a look at legal issues there. So is that un- unlawful discrimination, for example? So we break it down. It's, it's a lot of fun. But that's enough about us. We're here to talk about one thing and one thing only, and that's Solo. So what I want to warm up with is a round robin down the line. I asked the crowd where, you know, if this is a a top five Star Wars movie, but we've had a lot of new content since Disney took over the franchise. Where does this film rank among Star Wars film content for each of you? It's hard for me to rank. I think a couple people said they don't rank. Um, I kind of grouped them into like high, medium, low. Um, for me, this would be medium, just because the OT is the OT. I'm also a prequel fangirl, so I love the prequels. So, ranking them with the new ones, Rogue One is my fave. I love Rogue One. Um, this one, yeah, Rogue One fans, what's up? Um, <laughs> I would put this maybe on level with The Force Awakens for me, and I'm someone who did not like The Last Jedi. I'm not going to be a hater, I just, it's not up there for me. So I would rank it somewhere between Rogue One and The Last Jedi, maybe on par with The Force Awakens. I liked it, was not my fave, but I liked it a lot. I love all my children equally. (laughs) I don't care for the holiday special. (laughs) (laughs) That's the stepchild. (laughs) I I honestly, I don't rank the Star Wars films anymore. Um, I found over the years that all of them speak to something different in me at any given time. So a while ago, I probably would have said my favorite was A New Hope. And right now, I am super the fan of Menace. I will die for the fan of Menace. Uh, For me, I enjoyed Solo. There are parts of it I don't like because I don't think they handled some issues of representation correctly. But as a whole, I am 100% here for the movie and everything to do with Kira and Edna's Nest. Um, I also don't super rank Star Wars movies that often except um, the playthrough of Battlefront 2, which is my favorite Star Wars movie. Um, sorry. Sorry, it's not coming any closer. Can Is this okay? Okay, sorry. Um, so what I said was I don't really rank the movies except for the playfront of Battlefront 2, which is my favorite Star Wars movie. Um, but the thing I found with Solo, um, as I was crying in the Costco parking lot afterwards, <laughs> that it was the first time I'd had just, like, unbridled fun at a Star Wars movie in a while. Like, I cried so hard in Rogue One, the guys in front of me asked if I was going to be safe to drive home. Um, And, like, I really enjoy having those feelings, but I remember walking out of Solo and being like, I can watch this one with my nephew and not spend the next few years in therapy for both of us. (laughs) So I I am one of the people that would rank my Star Wars movies. Um, And for me, this one quickly shot up to being my number two favorite Star Wars movie of all time. Uh, My number one will always be Empire because I absolutely love all the stuff on Dagobah. Um, But and and I am on the Imperial side (laughs) of things. Um, So yeah, I I think that this movie, it really was just like you said, EK was a, a huge ride of just being pumped the whole time. Um, And the, Underworld of Star Wars is kind of my favorite place to explore, so I love seeing all of this background of like the the place where Han grew up and um, Crimson Dawn and those things. <laughs> it's high. It's very high. <laughs> I, I I like the low, medium, high thing because even though I do rank a lot of times. Two or three of them are kind of in the same tier, and it's like any given day they might switch places. Uh, prequels are always a hard sell for me, but um, I definitely think that there's a big gulf between this and the ones that Lucas did. I'm sorry. You know, I'm not going to be a hater on that. But, um, but uh, yeah, so I enjoy Solo, but uh, it is not one of my favorites. I would watch four through eight uh, over it, but, uh, but I definitely liked it and enjoyed it and would watch it again. I think my my problem with rankings is it seems to suggest that if a movie is at the bottom of it, you don't enjoy it or you don't like mm-hmm. it. And so I think it's this kind of artificial uh, thing to put on something that you just truly enjoy. And so the way I look at it is like I have a 14-month-old at home, so my time to do things is limited in, in my free time. And the way I look at these movies is if I've got a spare 45 minutes or a half hour, what movie am I going to opt for to just jump into for a few minutes and then be okay with popping back out of? 
And from that perspective, Solo is is right up there. Um, I can hop in, watch the Kessel Run scene, uh, watch a little Sabak, and have a lot of fun, and pop back out and you know resist that urge to watch the entire movie. And that to me is a sign that, that they did a fantastic job. With this. So the next very quick round robin, we see a lot of uh, uh, amazing smorgasbord of characters in this. I want just real quick down the line because we're going to expand on this later. But your favorite, either current character or new character. I mean, if your love for Han was renewed, that's fine. Uh, if you're a, a, a new fan of Kira, that's also So as my handle and name suggests, like Chewbacca is everything to me. That's why I'm Chewbacca. Um, so Chewbacca is everything. He's definitely my fave. I also really enjoyed Kira and Enfys as additions. I would die for Kira, my Slytherin queen, who <laughs> gets stuff done. Uh, and I also really, really love Enfys Nest. I may have mentioned this a few times, but um, I really enjoy Enfys Nest, and I think my one like regret in Star Wars, my whole fandom history, is that it's really difficult for me to get to an American Denny's um, because I don't live close to one, and so I went, and I was like, oh, I'll take the Chewbacca cup, and then as soon as the helmet came off in the movie, I was like, I can't believe I didn't get the Enfys Nest cup. I was so mad. So uh, it's pretty clear to my husband that mine is Enfys Nest as well, because I learned what her weapon was called. I'm here to educate everyone. It's an Electro Ripper staff, and someday I'm going to make one. <laughs> it will be used on mine. <laughs> Careful. Uh, yeah, it's we can't watch Solo without her saying at least four times the words Electro Ripper staff. Um, I Three times in the mirror, does she appear? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just I was like, yes, yes, trying to watch the movie. I get it. You like that stuff. Um, so, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm a huge Lando fan. I uh, loved what uh, Donald Glover did. But my favorite character in Solo is actually Kira. And I'll expand on that uh, later. But, yeah, definitely Kira. Yeah, I want to give some love to Donald Glover as Lando. Because uh, when I first saw the trailers, I was like, hey, it's some kids cosplaying as some characters that I grew up with. But, uh, you know, I, I really feel like Donald Glover really brought it. You know, I mean, I feel like he did a really great job depicting Lando. So I wanted to give some love there. Um, Kira was awesome also. But the other character nobody's mentioned yet that I want to bring up is uh, Paul Bettany killing it as Dryden Voss. Such a, such a oily, like evil villain but then like the the threat is always there the fear it's like i called him anti-vision because it's like it's like it's like i took the vision he took the vision character and it's just like i'm gonna do like 180 of any choice that i would do as yeah. that character and it was it was good so good job. yeah it was like less whiplash. purple not opening doors <laughs> death, murder yeah, going, going from avengers in april to to this in may his character that was like total movie whiplash <laughs> I, I will say because i'll expand on it later as well emphasis nest and my plea on this panel is that ek you please please write an Enfys Nest story. I don't care yes. what it, it could be Enfys Nest going to like Denny's to, to <laughs> get a Chewbacca cup. I will read it and eat it up. All with right. the helmet on. <laughs> yes. With the helmet. I, quite honestly, we can all agree <laughs> that Therm Scissor Punch was the real star of this show. The fact that all of his probably hours worth of scenes ended up on the cutting room floor, floor is the real uh, you know tragedy of this movie. All right, so I want to I want to rip this Band-Aid off right from the start. Just get right into to the thing that I think, if you go anywhere on the internet, uh, comes up first about Solo, which is box office performance, right? You can literally spend two seconds on the internet and fall into this rabbit hole of just mess about why this is the, this movie was the end of Star Wars, um, you know, all manner of things. So I want to kind of break that down. And before I turn it over to the panelists for some questions, we will take, let's take a look at the box office numbers. So it had a big budget, 275 million uh, that got inflated a little bit because of the change in directors and some of the change in direction of the movie. Uh, domestic take was 213.8. It's total gross uh, was 392.9, which it's, it's weird to say that something that makes a, like over a quarter of a billion dollars is a failure. But when you account for the, <laughs> Uh, the marketing budget that probably went into this, you know, technically it's in the red. Overall, if you look at the overall performance of Star Wars movies, and this is ticket prices that are adjusted for inflation today, which actually brought Solo's total down, it by any measure 
grossed the least of any Star Wars movie at the box office. But my question for the panelists is, you know, is this a true flop? Do the, the, do the numbers tell the story of this movie? I mean, I kind of don't care. <laughs> um, one thing that I really love about the Disney Star Wars is that they can take risks and not everything's going to pay off. And so you might get some short stories that end quickly, like Resistance, and you might get some movies that like only make a quarter of a billion dollars. Um, but you get a theme park and you get the Mandalorian and all that kind of stuff. And I really think that this is a really exciting time to be not only a Star Wars fan, but definitely a creator because they're starting to bring in more stuff and it's not going to hit with everybody, but it's going to hit with enough people that they'll keep trying. And I think that's exciting. Yeah. I mean, I heard all the things on the internet about, Oh, Disney's not going to stop making star Wars movies. They might do episode nine and then it's going to be done all that. And it's ridiculous, of course, because this movie did make a ton of money. It wasn't as much money as they wanted to make, of course. And that's where we run into the problem with studios. Cause studios always worry, Oh, we projected this much and only made this much. You know, that must mean that there's some sort of a problem. I think there's a lot of factors that went into this. I think that there is um, a little bit of, of, you know, I mean, this was released like Memorial Day weekend or somewhere, you know, nearby that. And there was a lot of movies out around that same time, um, you know, and, and. You know, there was some, I, I don't, there are a lot of people that argue that it was The Last Jedi and people were backlashing against that. And I don't really think that's it. I, but I do think that the part of the problem was a lot of the word of mouth was a lot of people who went to see it early on that I talked to were like, hey, this movie is fun, but it is completely unnecessary. And so when you, when that's the buzz coming out of the movie, that's a little bit of a problem coming in there. I think this is going to be one of those movies that when they look at the back end, you look at streaming, you look at, you know, DVD sales and things like that, it's probably going to do a lot better than it did at the movie theater. I think it mostly just got hurt because it came out a month after Avengers. Mm. And we had also trained audiences that now Star Wars films come out in December and not in mm -hmm. May. So I think a lot of people just didn't realize it was coming out because they didn't even start marketing it until what, the Super Bowl? Yeah, yeah. The, the marketing was abysmal. Yeah. I mean, it it is what it is. Again, it's hard to say something was a failure when it made a quarter of a billion dollars. Mm. If all my failures were involved in getting a quarter of a billion dollars, I'll be More happy. Well, but but keep in mind, it's, yes, when because the the thing is, it's how much you. You know, if it's like, I made a quarter of a billion dollars, but I spent half a billion, you know. I mean, yeah. they didn't spend that much, but, but that's also, that's why it's considered. I mean, you can't really argue with the the number like financially it's a flop yes but narratively i loved it so <laughs> i mean also star wars is dead that's financially why that's why there's 300 minute waits yeah, well, at galaxy's edge lost now. money that's why i'm talking about dvd sales and mm -hmm. right but but you have to but you have to subtract it from what the movie cost them to make uh huh Right, but what I'm right, but what I'm saying is yes. what I'm saying as far as definition of a flop is that if the movie loses money, it costs them more to make the movie than what they brought in. And like he mentioned too, that doesn't take into account marketing costs, which are yes. astronomical. Right. Yeah. So I mean, this movie was definitely in the red. Like I agree with everyone here that it wasn't to me personally a flop, mm -hmm. but financially it was. And the thing that kills me is that it might affect other one-of stories which have been my favorite of the new star wars movies and that's more of my fear of it being a flop financially is are they going to invest in more of these one-of movies because you know we heard a lot of rumors about um boba fett and obi-wan movies now obi-wan's going to be a show it makes i think they're kind of changing directions on those types of stories because they didn't do as well at the box office. But I, is is that a bad thing for it to be a show? Because there's be, more screen time be. for a show <laughs> like than there is for a movie. I yeah, like I 10 hours of Ewan McGregor. Is that a 2 hours of Ewan McGregor? Right. I mean, I, I completely agree with that. I do think the May release um, hurt it. I think being after Avengers hurt it. Um, when people talk about Star Wars fatigue, though, I don't know if I buy that because we don't have Marvel fatigue and there's a movie right. every three months or exactly. something. So I do think the May release and being after Avengers heard it. Um, I know you mentioned the, the Last Jedi backlash. I don't know how much that had to do with it. I will say for me, I was a little bit saddened after The Last Jedi and I wasn't as hyped for Solo until I started seeing more stuff come out. And there wasn't a lot of trailers on TV mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff to get me as hyped before. And I walked out of the movie really pleasantly surprised at how much I loved it. <laughs> so... I don't know. There's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, I think the May might have been the most. Was um, 
open I saw Solo, I was still seeing it in August in the theaters. Yeah. yeah. Which, which I most was, of the big blockbusters were way gone. And, and that's I what I was going to... Like, the power of Disney. It was still yeah. around. And honestly, there's no good answer for this. Like, yeah. yeah there's well, like, I mean, financially, financially, yes, it was a fun... Yeah, I mean, I... Yes, we all loved it. I got my, yeah, yeah. My, my take on it is unless you're a massive Disney stockholder, why why do any of us care what it hauls in at the box office? It, it, I, you know, I would like to meet the person that doesn't go see a movie, a Star Wars movie, because they're disappointed in the opening weekend take. You know, I don't think that person exists. I mean, that, that is true, same, but it, it's the same notion. Where, you know, Sorry, we've been seeing news about Galaxy's Edge, and is it is it. Doing that well, like who cares? Just, you know, it's a Star Wars land it, at Disney World at Disneyland. Well, like, my my thing is that I I think it's important because like because I did love Solo. I want it to do well because I want them to make more. Oh sure. So yeah, I think so I think it's definitely important from from that aspect. Um, but another thing too, because I, I, I talked to like a lot of like of course I'm sure all of you are like the Star Wars person at your job, you know. So you talk to all the the, the casual people. And like a lot of people I talk to, like ah, I just don't know, you know, because it's not Harrison Ford, and so I think that, you know, this was the first time that they really sort of recasted. Um, so I, I mean, you know, fake wedge, but whatever. Um, like this is the first time we had a, a major uh, character that was recasted like that, and I, I think that did turn some people off. So I think it's a lot of factors. Yeah, I think a lot of casual fans that I knew that were on the fence about seeing it. You know, I talked a lot of people into seeing it because they were like, eh. Do I need to see it? I'll wait for the next one. Or eh, I haven't heard good stuff. Those people that aren't that don't go to the movies a lot too. That are gonna you know are they gonna spend fifteen bucks per person at Avengers? Or are they gonna go next month and spend fifteen bucks per person at Solo? Those types of people I think are turned off. And yeah, I think it matters for the future of if we want more solo movies. I'm happy, like you guys said, with the TV shows. Maybe it's putting more of those original ideas in TV shows. I'm cool with that. But I I I'd like a trilogy of solo movies. That would be awesome. <laughs> And, you know, that's the moment you hear a friend of yours, even a casual Star Wars fan friend of yours, say that they're on the fence. That's where you pop an intervention and you drag them. <laughs> <to> the <laughs> because they, if, if you don't see it, how are you going to know what an Electro Ripper staff is? Exactly. Right. Or, like, what are you going to do when your dad calls you from the, like, lobby of the movie theater? It's like, didn't they cut that guy in half? <laughs> and I'm going to be like, yes, dad, they did. They put him back together. You want to know what the heck is going on when you sit down at the animation. My mom thought this movie was set before The Phantom Menace, and I had to explain to her, no, mom. He was super dead-ish. Han ages like Chewbacca. Alright, so I want to, from here on out, we're talking about the meat of the movie. You know, We're done talking about the performance and this or that. Because uh, you're all here to talk about why you know we all enjoyed this movie t- to whatever degree, and I want to first talk about the the visual storytelling uh, that this movie brings, and to sort of set the tone, I want to just show a short clip from the movie. being so soon. Of course, now you've got a problem. Big problem. <laughs> you happen to notice that freighter down there? You know what's on it? About 30 hired guns. All I gotta do is give them the signal, you're surrounded. I told you that the original pitch for this panel was just to watch the movie. <laughs> you, you get the sad final cut of it. Wait, can we ask, has anyone in here not seen the movie? You haven't seen the movie. Uh, okay. well, hey, no, don't shame them. Don't shame them. We see, we know there's a lot of people. Yeah. Maybe we should have put a spoiler warning on here. Yeah, there will be spoilers. Your time will be much better. I will give you my phone. You can go watch it. On <laughs> I just know that Kira is the best ever. Pretty good. It's pretty good. So, EK, I want to start with you. Your your uh, entire <laughs> life revolves around storytelling, and I want your sort of impressions of how 
this movie uh, told part of the story, not just through the script, but through what we see? Um, so I, man, I practiced like 15 answers on the plane on the way here, and they, just, <laughs> they all just left my head. Um, one of the things that I love the most about um, about Solo was that it's called after the person who is the main character, Han Solo, and you kind of get the idea that it's going to be like a movie that's just about him, and it turns out to be a really good team movie. Um, and I love a good heist. And I think the thing I love the most about this, which was not in the trailer, you kind of had to like go home afterwards and be like, wait, was that whether accidentally or on purpose, um, they took a very standard list of Western tropes and flipped them. So like you have the good, the bad and the ugly. They're just not who you think they are. And it turns out that like Han is the ugly, Beckett is the bad, and Empress Nest is the good. And she flips him at the end of the movie. And that's why I was crying in the Costco parking lot, basically, because it was just like, I don't remember the last time I had that visceral reaction to a Star Wars movie. It's not true. I don't. Um, but like just the idea of having that, like those Western feelings that, you know, are such a staple of American cinema. Um, and then tipping them all on their head, whether accidentally or on purpose, starting with the train and ending with the Kessel Run. And it was just so much more than I was expecting. What about the rest of you? What I want to toss it out. What scene visually was most impactful for you when you first watched this? So I got to say, because I'm like, nobody steal this. I love it so much. <laughs> um, to me, because the one thing I hear is some people are like, oh, Kira betrayed Han. And I'm like, what movie were you watching? <laughs> because the the theme of this movie is freedom and how I mean they constantly talk about it, um, you know, and it's visually there of like how important their freedom is. Oh, we can go anywhere, blah blah blah. And when at the end, and, and that's another thing too, is he's so naive. Like he he's the Luke in this film, you know, he's the naive farm boy. And, you know, she tells him, he's like, he's like, yeah, we're going to win. And she's like, it's, it's not that kind of game, hon, you know, but there at the end, he's thinking like, yeah, we won. We got it. We're, we're so good. We're going to go off now. And she's like, no, you, you don't even understand all this stuff is going on, but she chooses to sacrifice herself for him. And you see that shot where, you know, she, she inserts the ring and everything. Those bars come down. It's dark. And they make eye contact there at the end. He's out, open, free with Chewie. She's behind bars and then slowly drifting away. And she gave up her freedom for his. And I'm like, oh, it's amazing. You know, like best shot in the whole movie to me. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll quit gushing. <laughs> I just want to really quick recommend Most Wanted by Ray Carson, which is what happens when a Slytherin and a Hufflepuff think they're in charge of the same heist. Hey, I'm a Hufflepuff. So am I. <laughs> I'm a Slytherin. It's outstanding. Most Wanted by Ray Carson. Okay. For visuals, uh, I love the Kira thing, although I have a different interpretation of that ending than you do, but that's not the point. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to derail it too much. Uh, for me, Enfys Nest taking her helmet off thrilled the crap out of me because uh, one of my favorite video games of all time is Nice Bill Republic, which I went into completely blind. I played it for the first time when I was 14, and the revelation that your character is Revan blew my mind because to me... At the time, especially, Star Wars was always like, you know, the big bad guy. Obviously, it had to be, like, a guy who was a Sith Lord. And then you saw a woman underneath the bed. I'm like, oh, crap, this is awesome. So for me, the Empress Nest reveal sort of brought those emotions back. And I think that's one of the coolest things about Star Wars is when they show you something that you thought you knew and then you're surprised by it. Um, admittedly, I thought that was going to be followed up by the reveal that Empress was actually Beckett and Val's daughter, but that didn't happen. But other than that, it was so Beckett really awesome. Deserve her. He doesn't, but Val does. <laughs> Val does. So uh, I'll say visually my favorite scene was actually the introduction of Lando in this movie. I think that the way that it was filmed, especially with the lighting, it's this dim room, they're playing cards, and then you suddenly pan over to him, and he's perfectly dressed, of course, um, but it just seems like so Lando's environment, and it's just a beautiful scene, even if you didn't have anything else going through it. He doesn't even look at the droid that pours the drink. That's my favorite part. Yeah. He, just, he just holds the glass up. Dreaming <laughs> of Lando between Han's legs. <laughs> I have a few, um, and they don't really have much meaning just because they look cool. My favorite movies, or my favorite parts of all the Star Wars movies that stand out in my head are just that one cool scene, you know, the double-bladed lightsaber just popping out, you're like, damn, that's cool. <laughs> um, and so for me in this movie, the three that stand out were the Infest Nest reveal, um, 
and the other two are in the trailer that we saw Akira with the cape as a costume junkie, that red cape and the white jacket. And she just walks out looking so cool. I was like, oh, I want, I want that. I want that cape. <laughs> um, and then the other one that's in the trailer, too, is when it's cloudy and they first walk up to the Falcon and you, it just kind of pans up and he's looking up at it and you're kind of looking up at it, too. That was just so cool. That's Those are moments that kind of gave me chills in the trailer and um, watching the movie, too. I will say I have two. First is everything on Mimban. Uh, you see the Empire not trying to chase down the, uh, the the fledgling Rebel Alliance. This is the Empire at a time where it's trying to just crush and strip worlds. And the, the dirt and the grit, everything about those scenes uh, on that planet, watching just standard Imperial troops. There's no Darth Vader. Nobody, uh, you know, special on that planet. Uh, it's just the Empire at, at at war. I thought that was phenomenally presented. Uh, as a as a in real life, I'm an army major, and so watching that major get hit by the artillery around as Han is like, "What's just, a mouthy scooch?" <laughs> <laughs> just sitting there watching. It's just amazing. So, the, and then okay number two uh, would be in the middle of the Kessel Run uh, when they finally fought off the Tie Fighters. And the Falcon gets hit by a, a bit of lightning or, or, you know, whatever it is. And the power shuts off on it and everything goes dark and it switches to emergency lighting. And then you see Han sort of uh, fix something, a spark, all the lights come back on. And then, bam, there's this massive creature that's in front of them and, and stuff really pops off from there. So those, and, and that scene, like, encapsulates Han, right? He jumped into this thing, uh, in, into the Kessel Run without much thought or intent. Other than like, hey, I'll I'll fix this. I, I can just figure it out as I go and improvise. And that moment is just uh, a perfect encapsulation of that. Oh wait, also I almost forgot the scene of the Imperial blockade in the Maelstrom. Yes, yeah. was that gorgeous. Coming through was amazing. Um, and then Han saying like, oh, I used to be one of these guys. They're not going to throw Tie Fighters at a rinky thing freighter. And then, <laughs> like, like seven fighters come out. So. We get to see a lot of the Star Wars galaxy that we have not previously seen before. You see planets like Corellia and Kessel that have these renowned reputations, but we've just never seen them depicted before. Uh, what was it like seeing some of these worlds that before now you only could read about? I'm a huge Legends EU fan, so seeing Corellia was amazing, especially once I found out they were calling... Like, Corsac was kind of there. I missed the Corsac green, but you know it was still super cool to see that on the screen for the first time. Yeah, it's the same way with me because, yeah, I'm an old school Legends EU fan. And so, yeah, seeing Corellia as this, like, really industrial city and everything, I think that that was a really good uh, depiction of it. What about Kessel? Was, I, we, we, like, you hear about Kessel from the from A New Hope, so it's one of the original planets mentioned. Needed more Kip Duron. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, um, in this movie, as far as planets are one of my favorite parts of all the Star Wars movies, too. And certain movies do a better job at developing these worlds than others. I would put this one in the middle. I loved seeing Corellia. Um, Kessel was cool, too. Um, I wouldn't put it... I think the prequels do the best job of planet building, in my opinion. And Rogue One was up there, too, with making me feel something for the planet as well as the people. Um, I wouldn't put this one up there with those. Um, but I did think they did a good job. Probably better than the sequels. Um, maybe on par with the, with the original trilogy as far as world building um, the actual planets. So the last thing I want to talk about before we switch into to talking about some of the characters and storylines here is that the visuals that are done in this movie. I want to play a short clip from ILM uh, on the train heist. Seen on Vandor, just as a, a, a brief explanation, uh, that explosion that you see as the coaxium gets released and hits the mountain. Uh, the filmmakers actually went on YouTube to look for just 
the right explosion. Like, what would this material look like when it exploded? They finally found some guys, like the slow-mo guys, I think is their their channel's name. And what that explosion that you see there is a tiny blip in uh, an aquarium that's that's done. And so they shoot it with this super slow-mo, super high-def camera. And the actual blip, the explosion that you see there is a fraction of a second in real life. But they're able to slow it down. They then took... Uh, Thousands upon thousands of photos. Uh, they, they rode around in the Italian mountains and took photos 360 degrees in a helicopter, uh, meshed those together with a computer program to build the world. And then the only thing that's that's like just truly fake generated is the actual mountain explosion. The, the, yeah, they said, weirdly I enough, they wouldn't let them destroy those mountains. <laughs> yeah. I don't get it. I'm like, but guys, it's a Star Wars movie. Come on. Yeah. Come on, Italy. <laughs> when are you going to get this opportunity? Again? <laughs> <laughs> Often, by speaking. <laughs> so, I, just quickly before we pivot, uh, is there is there a particular scene where the effects just blew you away, took you, I mean, that, that put you in the Star Wars galaxy 100%? Well, I, I love when Infus first shows up. I mean, from the, I don't know why. Like, I just love the shot where she's like, I'm going in. And then, like, mm-hmm. cranks it. And you see that, like, head-on shot. Um, but that's not the special effects part. It's just really cool. Uh, but then, like, when she starts fighting and everything, and it's just so quick, and she's just moving like a ninja is awesome. Uh, I do have one small complaint with it. Um, you know, she's got those, like, really cool shield gauntlets. But a lot of people are like, huh, what? And I'm like, I know. They only showed them for, like, a half a second. <laughs> and I'm like, it should have been, like, two seconds, like, check it out. <laughs> I don't really have an answer, and I think that's a testament to how good ILM is. Um, I don't necessarily notice when things are effects versus combined with miniatures and, ex- like, other filming techniques. I don't know those. Um, yeah, say mine is um, Enfys jumping off a roof for that exact reason. Like it's the stunt person, and then the stunt person hits yeah. the ground, and she stands up. And it's super easy, and thanks to wigs and costumes and all kinds of shenanigans, you can hardly tell. And she does unmask a lot of her own staff fighting, but she had to learn how to do it based on the person who does unmask staff fighting. And I just think that combination of like these ludicrously pretty digital backgrounds and um, getting them to sort of work with the people who are there uh, is one of the things that I think before we switch, I'll say that the initial speeder chase when Han escapes the white worms lair and is fleeing from Moloch and they're they're He's got this stolen speeder and he's being, you know, they're, they're whipping around the streets of Corellia uh, is just phenomenal. And to watch it, I mean, they built, mock-ups of these speeders and they're just driving around driving them around they had 360 degree control of these things it's just phenomenal that you can go and build something like that um and and to this day i can just listen to the score for that part of the movie and it just gets me like really charged up and wanting to watch it so i want to get for the rest of the panel time and, and talk through some of the story points and characters and it's appropriate to start with with han and what I'll what I'll kind of start with is is we had an EU origin story in a trilogy of books for Han. <laughs> how it's different here, how it's represented, right? Bree, I'll start with you. How did it stack up? So I really love. Okay, if you've read the AC Crispin books, one of the main characters in his name Bria Theron, who I sort of took my name from. It's a long story. Um, but for me, I like them both for different reasons because you get a different story of Han for a different galaxy setup. And I will actually argue that Bria Theron's story and part of all that you see in Rogue One, actually, because she's much closer to being like um, Saw Gerrera, as far as that goes, which isn't actually about Han. But I really want to talk about Bria Theron. Um, <laughs> I liked this. I wish we had seen more of his Imperial background. I'm really glad that stayed in there, because for me, that's always been a key part of the character. Um, And I also really liked the twist on how he and Chewie met. It wasn't so much him being like, I'm going to free the Wookiees, which is where you get Han to eventually. It was, well, I guess we're going to do this. Let's make fight of of pretend and punch (laughs) the thing. And I thought that was a really cool way to, to change it up and everything. Also, yeah. chain together and then share a shower is like yes. <laughs> the two tropes that are just like solid gold every time. I wonder if yeah. there was only one bed. 
Yeah, so, like, for me, this this was really hard. This is why I had trouble with Solo from the moment that it was uh, announced, because, you know, it's one thing for Disney to come in and for Disney to, you know, take the Star Wars franchise in a new direction, whatever, but I've always felt like if something's good, don't change the thing that's already good, right? So, um, so yeah, I mean, th- those books are really uh, important to me as I was reading Star Wars books in the very beginning. Um I do, I do like a few things that they did with the movie uh, that changed things up a little bit. And one of them being, if you read uh, the book series, you know, Han is eventually betrayed by the woman he loves. Sorry, spoilers for a book series that's been out for like 20-something years. Uh, Rio was trying to save the rebellion. Leave her alone. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas in this, I feel, like, I feel like what you were saying, like that Kira was actually sacrificing herself for him. And so, in, in, in that sense, it was actually Beckett who was the bad guy. So, I was actually misdirected in this movie, which I actually enjoyed. They took the fact that I had read those books before, and I'm sure they were aware of them, even if they, you know, and, and, and took its spin on its head and said, no, it's actually the mentor figure who's going to be the traitor. So, he's, Alden Emmerich is stepping into, or stepped into some massive, massive shoes uh, in, in terms of what Harrison Ford did with the character. Mm-hmm. How did he do, in your opinion? Can you watch this movie and... and not see or not want to see Harrison Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I, I think oh. considering that it's Harrison Ford, he did as good as he could have done. He was yeah. really good. I yeah. think he did a great job. Um, when he was first cast, I was kind of side-eyeing it, like, oh, okay, we'll see what happens. And like the movie itself, I was very pleasantly surprised at how well he did. Um, <laughs> like I said, no one can be Harrison Ford, but, you know, and I think to some extent it, he did a good job by not trying to just beat him all the time. Which probably would have been a mistake. So he yeah. smiles really close to the beginning of the movie, and I remember being like, "Okay, you got it. That's fine." That's fine. He, he's yeah. definitely he's definitely rehearsed a lot of the mannerisms, yeah. and he's yeah. and he's even getting like the facial characteristics right. But I feel like it's different between him and Donald Glover. Donald Glover seems to effortlessly be Lando. When I watch um, Ellen Rick, I feel like he's he's doing a perform. I feel like he's trying to be on. So I feel like it's a different different level. I disagree with that because to me why Alden worked is he was not trying to do a Harrison Ford impression. Right. He was and also Han is at a different point in his life in this story than Lando is. So it makes more sense that Donald Glover's version of Lando is closer to Billy Dee Williams because Lando is already more established in who he is. This is Han still trying to figure out who he's going to be and the boy doesn't know. Yeah. You have a formal education. You know, right. But he the knows he's an outlaw. The writing and the performance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because the writing, yeah, he's definitely a different character how he's written, but I feel like he's trying to put on these mannerisms and I can watch. I can watch the actor doing that, whereas with Donald Glover, I don't see an effort. I see just... But, uh, he's, he's not fully baked yet. Like Han isn't a fully baked <laughs> human. You gotta let him rise. Uh, and I, this this is gonna sound the- super super nerdy to admit, but I like when I watch. Yeah, I'm in a uh, uh, None of us are nerdy. Listen on a listen, Dragon Con panel. When I watch these, when I go into these movies, and this is a subconscious thing that's been there since you know I was six or seven, and, and first watch a you know a VHS copy of A New Hope. It's you're you're not watching a film. You're watching sort of history kind of play out. It's not our history. It's not history that is real in that sense. But it's it's a woven together tapestry that is very real in many senses of the word. So when I watch films like this, I'm not watching a character that belongs to to Harrison Ford. I'm watching Han Solo, and this just happens to be Han Solo at an earlier point. And I, you know, I don't know about any of you. I go back into my old pictures from ten, fifteen years ago, and I'm like. <laughs> what happened? And I, you know, so from, from that sense, I I didn't I worried about it, but I had no problem whatsoever suspending, uh, you know, my image of Han Solo as Harrison Ford because it's it's the character. None of these actors have any ownership, you know, over any of them, and they'll all tell you that the honest ones will at least. And from that sense, I from the moment you see Han's face light up and he's just terrified as he's boosting this speeder at the beginning of the movie, I was like, got it, young Han. He just I had like his it. awkward stage a little later in life. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca, I'm going to, you own this next uh, character. I want to say, well, I just want to jump in real quick oh, sure. uh, and just say, you know, because you're talking about like Donald Glover and look, I love Donald Glover, but as a big Lando fan, um, I was probably, you know, scrutinizing, like paying way more attention to his performances. But I mean, there's things that I'm just like, 
Billy D would not say that. You know, like when he goes, whoa, 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 hon. I'm like, Billy D wouldn't say it like that. You know, or he goes, yoo-hoo. You know, I'm like, that is that is so Donald Glover. Like, that is not Billy D. That is Donald Glover. And and it's fine, you know, and but uh like like I said, as someone who's just like Lando hung the moon, um well Which moon? He, he owned one, a sub I'll, I'll tell you about it later. It's, in the um, it's a real money book. I see, yeah. I, well, I have those books. There's probably a So, Rebecca, you own this this next topic. Um Chewbacca. <laughs> I mean, did anyone not like Chewie in any movie? Like, he's awesome every time he's on screen. Um, right, no. <laughs> leave. Um, I, I mean, I love Chewbacca in this movie. I thought he was completely true to character. I love the little moments. You know, you get those little compassionate moments um, with Chewie in Kessel when he went off to save um, the other guys. And then it just kind of reminds me, because we get this big badass Chewie, you know, I'm going to rip your arm off Chewie, and then you get, like, him carrying around parts of C-3PO Chewie, and we saw both of those in the movie, um, which is so sweet. I, I kind of liked how, um, it seemed like a lot of the time, like, everyone was treating him as, like, a side character, and you kind of, without him doing anything, get the impression of, like, you thought, no. Like, you know, they, like, dismiss him as, like, oh, Han and, you know, his friend Chewie over here, like, he's the muscle or whatever. And, um, I don't know, I I can't pronounce the actor's name. Is it Junis or Jonas? Jonas. Jonas. Um, I think he's doing a great job. He's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, and he seems to really love it and everything I've seen with him in it. So, uh, I mean, Chewbacca's awesome. You can't say anything bad. <laughs> I, I personally love the, the scene. You get Chewbacca and in this scene around the campfire on Bandor before they boost this train. And you see in just a few seconds... The, the entire struggle for Kashyyyk encapsulated, right? This isn't something that's just like, oh, you know, the Wookiee, my, my people are enslaved and I need to help them. This is like a years long effort. I mean, he's in, you know, he's been betrayed and, and finds himself jailed by the empire here, but his, he is mid stride in, in trying to get his people free at this point. And this is something that, that doesn't get resolved for decades later. And there's just an emotional weight to that scene with, Rio and whatnot that, that really is impactful and I, I really enjoyed it. I feel like asking if you like Chewbacca is like asking if you like ice cream. I mean, <laughs> right? Can, can, <laughs> it's not really much of a question. <laughs> I think you'd be wrong. I, guess. <laughs> right. I hate fun and joy. Yeah, I hate fun and joy. Yeah. Maybe if you had really bad allergies. Okay. <laughs> I do when aliens it. invade or, or robots take over humanity, that will be the test question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To determine whether the person is an alien or a robot. <laughs> Um, okay, Kira. Okay, can I rebut a point from five minutes ago now? <laughs> Please. Yes. Okay, you're wrong. <laughs> because, okay, I could have said that nicer. I'm sorry. Um, so to me, I spent the entirety of the first time I saw Solo terrified for Kira because I was worried that they were going to fridge her with the love interest thing and that she was going to die or that they were going to do like... I mean, I guess everyone running off to the sunset together is fine. But, like, that wasn't the story I wanted of her. So, to me, Kira never was taught. She tells him from the start, like, mm-hmm. you're not ready to hear about the things I had to do to survive. I am not the same person anymore. I am not the same person anymore. And Han's like, okay, but what if we made out of the cape closet? I mean, yeah, the cape closet was great, but... <laughs> He never listens, and he, for me, Han got stuck in the same mental state when he left Corellia, and then to the point where we see him again. And his whole thing was, I have to get back to Corellia, and I have to try and help Kira again, which is sweet, but it's naive. Kira is not that. She is a different person. She has her own her own plans and her own ambitions, and she, yeah, like she looks at Han and she sees him, and okay, yeah, she could see making out with him again and maybe other things (laughs) but that is not what she ultimately she ranks her own goals above that so to me when she when she sends Han out and she shuts the door and she puts that ring in there that is Kira choosing herself for the first time that she's been able to since she got swept up by uh Proxima's gang that is her taking control of her own destiny her stabbing uh what's his Dryden was taking control of her own destiny and it wasn't betraying Han. It wasn't lying to him. I mean, she said, you know, I'll see you soon. That was the only way to get him out the door. Yeah. But that was her picking 
herself and becoming free. At what point, when she saw him again, do you think she decided to overthrow a very large criminal organization and take control of it for herself? Right away. Right away? Yeah, I think I... it's when it, when it... You think she had the plan before she saw him? and it was no. Kind of like no, 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 but she saw him as an opportunity. She, yeah. She, yeah, she wanted to have the opportunity and she thought about it. Because like her body language in that first scene with, with Dryden is very telling. Um, like she does, like she'll touch him and everything, but I'm just like, it was very uncomfortable to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she had she had an idea, and then the plan formed once she realized that there was an opportunity. But but the thing I appreciate about what they did with Kiris, because what I was expecting was different from you. I thought she was going to be the one to betray Han and try to kill him, that. and that Han was going to have to kill her. You know, and and that was going to be what makes him the jaded guy that we see in A New Hope. So I was kind of glad that they actually made it Beckett as the one that actually truly, like, betrays Han, because that was a, a switch from what I was expecting. And I do feel like it, it is exactly what you're saying, Bria, about um, her deciding to take control of her own destiny. And I think, too, it's also that she's just trying to make the best of the situation she's ended up in, because she just had to find a way to survive since she got taken back to Corellia and couldn't leave. And that was her only way out. And Christy, yeah. I want to, you, I'm going to pitch this right back to you. Cause it's a yeah. good, that point is a, a, brings up another question in my mind. The moment that she decides to, to fight Dryden and stay on his ship and contact Darth Maul, is that a, survival moment or is this the end of a plan that's been in the works long before han came back into her life i don't think it was a plan long before han came back into her life i think maybe it was when they were on the trip to kessel and she used Terras kasi on one of the bikes that she was like you know maybe i have the chops to actually do things my way and not answer to anybody anymore oh, yeah, and I, I think another thing that's really important is her dialogue to maul where she specifically, like, she never calls out Han or whatever, and she's like, oh, it was Beckett who did it. And and he's like, one man couldn't have done this. She's like, well, I don't know, I wasn't there. You know, like, she specifically is just like, nope, it's Beckett, you go, you worry with him, pay no attention to the other two dudes. Like, she, yeah, you know. She definitely likes Han and doesn't want harm yeah. to come to him. I mean, that, that part's true. But see, this is interesting, because my thinking is that this is an organization that's created by a Sith Lord, and so the idea of supplanting the person in charge, I think, is probably just baked into the organization. Yeah. So I felt like she was looking for an... I thought she was looking for an opportunity to replace Dryden the whole time, and then just Han came along and was like, this is it, you know. Yeah, see, I don't want Solo 2. I want the TV show in which we see Kira just destroy Maul. Because he has to end up on what you would call it somehow. And he's not in control of anything then. And you know my girl is running that organization. <laughs> <laughs> and I really hope that her and Empress Ness somehow team up to do it. I just want a scene where she's like watching security cam footage of Maul get owned by Palpatine. <laughs> and like laughing while she enjoys some Colo Claw. Nah, like Vader. <laughs> we have not okay we in live action we have not seen two red lightsabers clash and i think it's about time <laughs> and we know from rebels that like he's afraid of of vader so i'm like so why like, are they gonna run at each other are we gonna see maul versus vader because that would be awesome all right it's time for emphasis ek bria i what you touched on this already uh what does this character mean to you? What is that that switch toward the end, the, the reveal? Uh, what did that do for the overall movie? Your experience? Yes, I just I just remember like kind of shrieking pretty loudly, and the dude next to me was like, <laughs> which was understandable, um, but it just made me so happy, and um, just to get her. And then I will admit, about two seconds after I left the movie theater, I was like, there are some really. Um, awkward conversations going down in the 501st right now because she's a girl and she's a good guy and i just i love that that you get that sort of character who's coded as like the other character and going back to the western because this is like the most western movie they've ever done in a series of movies but they're doing space western um and like the train robbery she's coded as the other character in american cinema it's the native american characters and the fact that she's unapologetically the good guy and her whole conversation with Han afterwards and like the blanket cape that she wears, the colors in that, I just loved it. And that scene at the very end where she's holding the little kid's hand, like she, just the way that she's written is so beautiful. 
And um, I was really glad that Aaron Cunningham came to Celebration because they buried that so well that three days after the movie, you couldn't even Google her. And um, I'm so glad that she got to come to Celebration and like you just got to love her for like four days straight um, because she did such a fabulous job. Oh, actually, the awkward conversations going on in the Legions were about where Kira fell. Oh, we're actually, <laughs> whether she's <laughs> like, we know whether she's a good guy or a bad guy. But um, <laughs> as far as as Empress Ness goes, I love. So one thing I really hated about Solo was what happened to Val. Um, there aren't that many. Actually, yeah, there aren't that many uh, female black characters in Star Wars, especially on the screen. And the fact that one died so early on, and she was giving her life basically to like. Beckett. I'm like, come on, guys! <laughs> really? Um, and I was, I struggled with that a lot. Uh, but then, when you have Empress take off her helmet, and she's a mixed-race black woman, I'm like, oh! Okay, this is cool. Um, especially because I'm mixed-race uh, Asian, and I was like, you don't really see that many other mixed characters on the screen, especially in something as big as Star Wars. So I thought it was really cool to see a character like that. And it ties back to what I said before about the whole the power of reveal and all that. And I would just watch the entire end of the show. Um, and I'm going to steal something that Kate said before about who should write an Endless Nest book. And it's Rebecca Roanhorse. Please, please, yes. please let her write like an entire Endless trilogy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Rebecca has been, um, if you guys, if you guys are waiting for Resistance Born, yes. Um, she has a book called Trail of Lightning and you'll get about four pages into Trail of Lightning before you'll be like, oh yeah, Endless Nest for sure. <laughs> um, she's, she's just so good. Yeah, Enfys Ness became my favorite character from this movie because of that reveal. Um, because when you first see her, you're thinking that it could possibly be a man. Um, because she's got this helmet on and this voice disguiser, you have no idea. Um, and you think that they're just these people that are constantly trying to, like Beckett said, sneak the score from under them uh, and don't really matter. And then in the end, they end up being this group that are fighting for the people that are being oppressed by the Empire. And it's so beautiful, her um, care and empathy for these people and saying that her mother has been leading this and now she's following in her footsteps and I just love all of that and then also the scene where she jumps down with the staff and the <laughs> dust flies. And I, I just love, I mean, to your point, they don't even, they talk about her in the movie the characters do with masculine pronouns. I mean, they, they refer to her as him and, and this and that. So it's, you know, the moment where it's just as surprising for the characters on screen as it is for the audience uh, that was a great payoff moment. And I just love the fact that there's this connected tissue. This is the nascent rebellion, right? This is the birth of the rebellion, at least one small spark of it. Because uh, if you look closely, you see at least one character you see in Rogue One, Benthic Tutubes, who's one of the Saul's partisans. Uh, and, and it exemplifies just the level of effort that the entire group of, of storytellers that are involved, from the story group to the individual writers and whatnot, are really doing to, to try to connect all these films. So when I watch this, I, I look at Rogue One differently. I watch A New Hope differently. All of a sudden, the stakes are completely different. And it's really, really amazing to see that this is where it started. Jobs like this, where they're struggling and battling to even get a little bit of fuel or credits to, to start up what they what they want to do. Plus, uh, in the novelization, they flat out have uh, Saw and Tiny Jin go through that first at the end. So it's a, even more Okay, Lando, and this is probably where we'll end because we're running out of time. All right, guys, you got an hour? <laughs> the, question, the question is, is the cape closet on the Millennium Falcon a great idea or the greatest idea ever? Uh, yeah. The greatest. <laughs> How was seeing Sabacc on screen for the first time ever? Did it, was it worth it? I mean, does it, did it pay off? Did they shoot it well? Well, I liked it, and I, I like how they designed the cards. Because, you know, I mean, even in Rebels, they were, like, squared or rectangular cards. And so actually seeing something a little different, you know, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I like the idea in Rebels that they had to, like, make... I like the idea in Rebels they had to, like, make their own cards. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. that it's just kind of like, we're bored. Does anybody have any, like, plastic lying around? Yeah. And I just love that Han comes into this original game 
with like pure intentions. It's like his naivety <laughs> encapsulated in, in a minute or two where he's just like, I'm just a really good card player and I'm going to pretend to not know what I'm doing. And then he totally gets swindled. And he's like, he's trying to find a friendly ear about it to Kira who just staked him and lost all this money that she probably now owes back to Crimson Dawn. And he's like, there's no way he could have that green Psylocke in play and blah, blah, blah. And Kira's just like, you know, I don't really care. He lost, right? And then to have that moment at the end where he brings in Lando for that hug and, and obviously steals the card out of his little cheating device. And then Donald Glover just plays it so well where he's just he's got that look on his face as he's trying to trigger the card. Because he he finally learns, right? Like at the end, because the thing is like he, through the whole movie, he never learns. Even when he's like, oh yeah, he's like a little maneuver I learned from my friend Needles. Who died, crashed and died doing this? Like, then why are you doing it? (laughs) Well, I mean, and like, and he tells Kira, he's like, hey, remember that alley back? And then she's like, yeah, remember it didn't work. (laughs) Like, think it through, hon. No, he's and then you he go forward to, to Cloud City in that meeting scene in Empire Strikes Back, and what does Han say? Fair and square. 